and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is Dr. Eric David. He is the CEO of Gene Therapy at BridgeBio, and I'm thrilled to have him here. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about your background. Before we dive into BridgeBio's gene therapy programs specifically, I want to talk about your MD and JD degrees and how they're working assumingly congruently to help you drive Bridge Bio's gene therapy programs to the success that they have today. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. It's I laugh only because I, I didn't plan to get both an MD and a JD. <laughs> it just sort of worked out that way, which is a whole other story. But sure. um, but abs, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't use both of them. Um, I would say on the medical degree side, it's it, it's less the actual sort of what I learned in medical school getting an MD. It's more the time I spent as a resident and then moonlighting as an attending in, in hospitals, just understanding just patient care and the interaction of patients with the entire healthcare landscape. I mean, as you know, hospitals are just insane places and patients, um, you know, unless they have someone to advocate for them, you know, they just really can be a really, really trying process for for them at best. And at worst, it can obviously go more awry. And so understanding the obstacles to getting them treated, helping them understand the interventions and why these interventions are necessary. And in the case of clinical trials, helping them understand, you know, really what, what this is about and what the risks are and what the roadblocks are to helping them, you know, get... Um, get something that may really benefit them from from their perspective and just you know making sure that they really understand what they're signing up for and you know and feel like it could really benefit them um so you know that that was just tremendously helpful and also just the time with patients and families and understanding just these you know dreadful dreadful diseases uh um that that so many people face and and how it impacts not just the patient but their whole family that that was you know just an, an amazing experience. Um, on the JD side, you know it's really um, so much of startups in particular is signing confidentiality agreements and licensing IP from a university and understanding what additional IP to file and signing contracts with key vendors and you know manufacturing partners and and so I think what's What's nice about having the law degree is I feel really comfortable with all of that stuff and with general, you know, negotiations around contracts and things like that. And so um, it allows us to move really fast on the legal side and not have to run things by an attorney unless there's something I really am, am less comfortable with. And also just saves us a ton of legal fees. So mm-hmm. Very convenient. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And you, especially from the the legal side of things. You, you bring up some very good points that having the expertise in-house is probably well worth its uh, well worth its weight. Um, and speaking of the dreadful diseases, that's what I kind of want to pivot to next. I want to talk about Bridge Bio's gene therapy programs for both Canavan disease and congenital adrenal hyper, or excuse me, hyperplasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about both diseases, explain them, and then how does Bridge Bio meet their critical unmet need, excuse me, the unmet need in both diseases. Right. No, no. 
So I'll start with Canavan, and Canavan is one of these, um, you know, horrible cerebral leukodystrophies. So it's a a condition that manifests usually within the first six to eight months of life, but it starts developing, you know, um, in in the womb as well, uh, and just prenatally. Um, and you know, usually the patients um, uh, are born seeming phenotypically normal, um, but then they'll they'll start to around six to eight months miss a major milestone or an even more heartbreaking way. They'll, they'll have had them, they'll have met a milestone, but then they'll regress. Um, and often they will pass away by the age of, of 20, you know, usually the first couple of decades of, of life, although some have, have hung on longer and there's just nothing for, for this disease. It's about a thousand patients, in the US and EU in terms of, of prevalence. Um, but there's just nothing, there's no treatment for it. And um, and so um, it's all it's caused by a single gene defect in a gene called aspartoacylase that codes for a protein that breaks down a product called NAA. And NAA is something that um, it, it can accumulate in all of our cells unless it's broken down by this ASPA protein, aspartoacylase. And when it's when you lack that gene and therefore the protein, NAA builds up and and by mechanisms we don't fully understand, it's toxic to myelin, the coating of, of neurons. And so the kids are generally unable to um, they, they have very little, if any, motor control. Uh, they usually cannot even track with their eyes. They have no head control. There's usually an element of significant spasticity that uh, that sets in as well. Um, so it's really just a, a devastating disease. Um, and, uh, and, and again, with, in terms of meeting the unmet need there, it's really, you know, the, the whole goal with gene therapy, of course, is, gosh, if we can just put that protein back in the body somehow by getting mm -hmm. the gene in there. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we talk to the Canavan patient families on a monthly basis. And that's one of the things that's so gratifying about working in rare diseases like this is we, we have this real partnership and relationship with families and patient advocacy groups, really getting to understand their needs. Like what would success look like in this, for this drug to them? And the, these parents are, are so well-educated about not just the disease, but about gene therapy. And so they will tell you right off the bat, like, look, I don't expect that my child is suddenly going to become a normal child. Like that would be amazing. And I think they all understand that treating earlier is, you know, you have more chance of recovery the earlier you treat, but they will, they will talk about what success looks like and, and things like, look, you know, if you could just reduce the spasticity significantly, that in and of itself would be a win because my child is in pain from all these jerky movements that they have, un, un, you know, involuntary movements all the time. If my child could maintain eye contact and track things with their eyes, if they could maybe even hold their head up and just, you know, um, all, there are all of these things that they will, will talk us through that really help us to understand what, what success looks like from, from their standpoint. Um, uh, for congenital adrenal hyperplasia, uh, it's, you know, this is a little bit different. This is a much more prevalent rare disease, still a, a rare disease, an orphan disease, but it's a, it's about, um, 75,000 or so patients in the U S and, and EU. And this is a disease that, um, has had 
shockingly little innovation since the advent of of corticosteroids in in the 1950s. So um, you're in this disease again a single gene defect where the patient does not make one enzyme uh, along the the pathway that makes uh, cortisol essentially what you know adrenaline, um, but does, doesn't make cortisol. Uh, and some of the other adrenal hormones uh, that, that help govern blood pressure. And so it, it can be fatal in the first few days or weeks of life. Uh, and, and it's screened for across every state in the U.S. and in most countries at birth. And, uh, and they put patients on steroids. And despite patients being on steroids for this disease, the unmet need is shocking. So, so much so that um, as recently as just about a year ago, there was a a whole review article on congenital adrenal hyperplasia published in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about how still, you know, the, the unmet need here is severe in terms of um, a mortality ratio four to five fold higher than the mortality across all age groups in, in, in control populations and you know, devastating cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, bone disease. Uh, so um, not to mention all the side effects of taking steroids your whole life. So, um, so, so there it's, you know, there's just so much unmet need for us to address again with just, you know, a single gene defect. Sure. Wow. Okay. Now the, I want to talk a little bit about the, the platforms that Bridge Bio is using to address exactly that, the unmet needs for both Canavan disease and congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And before any podcast, I spend quite a bit of time on my guests' website to sort of comb through uh, what they're working on and and to learn more, you know, get to the nitty gritty of what they're, who the company is. And so specifically, Bridge Bio's website is talking about the fact that the company is designed to create this bridge between the promising genetic research and the actual medicines with the people and the platform and the processes you know, needed to advance the therapies. So talk us through the platform or technology uh, that bridge bio, helps bridge bio's approach to gene therapy and the studies you've done to date um, as your programs are heading to the clinic. Sure, sure. I think in terms of the platform itself, it really does um, come down to you putting patients first and and letting science speak. I mean, we the way Bridge Bio looks at things, we are we are agnostic to both disease and to modality. So we just go where the unmet need is and where great science is being done. So we have a team that is constantly scouting, um, you know, diseases of unmet need and the science that's currently going on in in basic research labs, and. Um, and if when we find programs that have you know just true unmet need, if we can meet that unmet need with a small molecule, a pill, you know, or or even a conventional biologic, and and feel like those are great approaches, there's good science there. That that will you know that's often less expensive and and often less time consuming than doing a gene therapy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you've just got to replace the gene. And, and so that's where the gene therapy group comes in. And so, um, so these are all diseases where we feel, you know, there's, there's not another great way to, to meet the need, or for example, in the case of congenital adrenal hyperplasia, you know, the, the need has been met 
you know, to a certain level with corticosteroids for decades, but there's still profound unmet need. And, um, and so we then work, you know, the case of cannabis disease is a great example. This was developed by Guangping Gao, who's one of the sort of parents of gene therapy, also happens to be the person who cloned the gene for this disease. And we, you know, had seen his papers, knew him, started talking to him about this, um, this disease specifically, uh, licensed the ASPA program from him and just you know, he and and his colleagues have been real partners in in the development of this because they also, like us, they spend lots of time with the patient communities and have really gotten to know the disease. And uh, and so having that bridge where it's patient families and these cutting edge researchers and us all working together, that I mean, that's fundamentally what drives us, what, what drives me. Um, in terms of in terms of the data, I think you know we've for cannabis disease done a lot of, we published some um, posters and other things at ASGCT over the last couple of years. For cannabis, one of the big things we did was um, a study to really show um, which route of administration would be best. This is a part of the, 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 the deep cortical white matter as the name implies, um, is very deep in the brain and that's the that's the part of the brain that really needs to be treated here and it's not so easy to get there and you can make an argument about whether some injection directly into the brain parenchyma or you know treatment intrathecally or um, icv might be better or just straight up iv and we compared all the different routes of administration in non-human primates to see which ones really penetrated to the degree we needed into the deep cortical white matter. And that's how we had settled on IV administration. And that, al that also speaks to the fact that this is a, a protein that's present in every, um, in virtually every tissue in the body, not just in the brain. For congenital genome hyperplasia, uh, a lot of the studies were on showing that we could rescue uh, a mouse model. We did similar things in Canavan as well, um, but those were done by Guangping and his colleagues before we, we got there. But for congenital adrenal hyperplasia, it was showing not only that we could rescue a mouse model of the disease, but that um, in non-human primates, we could make, you know, that the adrenal glands would not only get the, the virus and therefore the gene, but that they, the cells in, in that gland would make enough of the protein to have a reasonable chance of getting these patients off of steroids completely. That, that that would be the goal, you know, either to, you know, eliminate the steroids completely or knock them down to low, low levels. Um, and so, um, and so we were able to, to, to do that, um, that NHP experiment as well. And then, you know, so we, we often will take over, you know, if the, if the basic science researchers have done great research, there are a lot of experiments we won't, um, we won't repeat, but we just take it some work from wherever they have it to where it needs to go for us to file an IND. Yeah, sure. Make, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, manufacturing specifically with regard to therapies for cannabis disease and congenital adrenal hyperplasia. How will these products be manufactured? So manufacturing, as you know, right, <laughs> in cell and gene therapy, I mean, it's something that I think about every day. Right. And uh, it's something that even at the best of times, it, you know, the skills to do it and the 
facilities to do it are expensive and um the manufacturing partners have very little capacity but it also as you know right um and that some in the audience may not fully appreciate um the the manufacturing facilities and skills needed for gene therapy overlap to a, a very large extent with those needed to manufacture vaccines for covid sure. <laughs> so, yep. so things have gotten you know even more dear and scarce and uh and so you know we take an approach of saying okay well at some point we may need to build our own manufacturing facility and that's something we revisit on literally a monthly basis but that's mm -hmm. an incredibly expensive undertaking and a very time consuming one and um and so we we took the approach of saying okay we are going to develop a dedicated space agreement with one of the major suppliers catalent where we have dedicated space in their facility for a certain portion of the year and that's our space and we can use it across all of our products. And then we supplement that by having built just a tremendous CMC team in-house that does a great deal of process development and analytical development so that instead of having to rely on Catalent or another partner for those, we can really optimize the process tremendously um, and do all of the PD and AD work and hand over something that's fully fledged to Catalan mm -hmm. and and the yields that our team has been able to get. I mean, you know, I have often boasted to to investors and others that you know we have gotten the best yields that Catalan has ever seen on on some of our on some of our products, and that that's really a testament to to our internal team and the relationship that not just the relationship they built with Catalan, but the work that they're able to do to optimize these things. Um, we have two hundred liter capacity in our labs in Raleigh. And so the team is able to not only do that process development and analytical development there, but they're able to produce research grade vector across all of our programs. So that saves us from having to use an, a partner to do research grade vector. It saves a ton of money and a ton of time. Mm -hmm. Sure. And uh, your approach is one that I, I hear, we hear at, you know, Cell and Gene quite a bit, uh, a hybrid approach, yeah. if you will, uh, that makes a lot of sense for all of the reasons you outlined. Uh, you know, you have an in-house team that is more than capable. You are, you partner for what you need to partner. And if down the road, you need to build your own in-house facility, maybe that day will come. But for now, this is what seems to be working best for not only Bridge Bio, but that seems to be the case for uh, plenty of cell engine readers for sure. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about Bridge Bio's pipeline. So in terms of our gene therapy pipeline, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, we, um, Obviously, ASPA and Adrenas, the you know um, Canavan and the congenital adrenal hyperplasia programs are are you know uh, we expect clinical data by sort of middle of uh, middle of twenty two, um, and then you know we've built a really um, really robust early stage pipeline uh, of of new programs, and we've we've we have several of them. We've uh, disclosed a couple of them. We've disclosed that we were working on tuberous sclerosis types one and two um, with Sandra Brakefield's lab at, um, at Harvard and MGH. Uh, and we've disclosed that we're working on uh, a rare hearing loss, um, TMC1 hearing loss with Jeff Holt's lab at, at Boston Children's. And so, you know, these are, um, these are, very different diseases and sort of points to a couple of things about the model that I, that I think I've mentioned. One is just that we're sort of, you know, tissue agnostic. 
uh, you know, we're, we're not like a CNS gene therapy company or an endocrine gene therapy company. Again, we just follow the science and we go where the unmet need is. But also um, it points to our relationships with great leading academic labs. Um, and it points to the fact that we're able as Bridge Bio to balance smaller diseases like Canavan or TMC1, where, um, you know, they're there are a lot of companies that, that won't take on very small rare diseases uh, with, with larger ones um, like CAH or TSE one and two. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a pipeline that we're tremendously excited about. And, and I think really just um, by going where the unmet need is rather than feeling like you have to stick to a specific platform or tissue, I think that's opened up a unique place for us in gene therapy. For sure, for sure. And uh, please do come back as this unfolds. We would love to have you back on the pod to give us an update on all of what's going on in the pipeline and to even talk about more specifically manufacturing for Canavan and uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. There's still quite a lot to be discussed. Uh, so I hope you'll you'll come back and talk to us more about all that's going on with Bridge Bio. No, I'd love that, Aaron. Thank you. For sure. Now, I can't let you go just yet. Uh, one of the things that we do at the end of each episode is I ask my guests uh, the same question to help our listeners get a better understanding of who the subject matter experts are once they are not in the office or the lab at work, what have you. So uh, the question is, describe your ideal Saturday for us. <laughs> um, I... Uh... It will sound so boring, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, I live in I live in San Diego right now, and and so if I'm here, the ideal Saturday for for me, an ideal Saturday would just be in a in a big city. I'm fundamentally a big city person. I, I live 20 years in New York, and so sure. an ideal Saturday would be in New York or somewhere else. But an ideal Saturday here is waking up, going for a, a long bike ride for a couple of hours, uh, which is how I sort of de-stress. It's also how I just generate a lot of creative thinking. Um, and then come home, you know, be home usually by eight in the morning and, um, you know, and spend the day with my, my kids. I have three, three boys and my wife is a writer. And, um, while I love spending Saturdays with her as well, you know, as a writer, she needs big chunks of time to get work done sure. uninterrupted. And so I just, you know, I'll just have a Saturday, take the boys out and then we'll all come home uh, later in the day and, 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 you know, cook dinner together or something like that. So again, I, you know, probably doesn't sound terribly exciting, but it's pretty ideal. Oh, it's, it's extremely exciting to me. I think that's a very, very good day. And uh, it's funny, a lot of so far, uh, you know, all of our podcast guests have outlined the the same thing. It's some fresh air, time with the family, and you know, winding down the day in in some way with you know family dinner of some sort that can help you get back on Monday refreshed yeah. and ready to hit, ready to hit the ground running. But I uh, couldn't agree more with you about your uh, need and want for fresh air in the morning. I'm the same way. I always start my day with some form of, if I can, if the sun's up, uh, outdoor exercise, running or something, because fresh air to me is medicine. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel the same way you do. Um, well, Eric, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for all of the great information that uh, 
you know, the bridge bio is providing to the gene therapy community. And we hope you'll come back and talk to us soon. Absolutely. No, thanks for the great questions. It was a lot of fun. Good, good. All right, listeners, that is about it for today's episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. 